0: and I'm really excited. Uh, my name is David Nyeke, and I am married to one <laughs> Neema Omboi. And, and it's a joy to be married to her, and, and yeah, she is she is an amazing wife. Uh, We've we just turned uh, six months. We are chasing one. Like, we are chasing one year. so we're really excited about that. But again, let's appreciate the worship team for leading us also very, very well. Um, I hope you've enjoyed the songs. Uh, these are songs that are just pointing us to Christ. And, his work and His person, and Him dying and cleansing us, and I pray that as you sang those songs, that you you are you are just reminded of how God has pursued you and saved you. And we will pretty much stay on that on that line because we are in the Lent season as we gear up to the Easter, but Easter time. But also, I pray and hope that this series has been meaningful to you, and I hope it has uh, taught you and instructed you to understand why we do what we do here at El Chapel, Ruaka, and also my hope is that these church wise are making you wiser. Right? In your knowledge of God, and in turn, they are challenging your commitment um, to our Lord in your personal walk with Him, but also in your corporate participation in this local th- church and also among other saints. So, today we dive into why we baptize, and that's the topic of today. And we hope that we're just going to look at the scriptures and ask ourselves, why do we baptize the way we do? And also, reflect on what the Scriptures call us with regards to this topic of baptism. But probably you are hear, and when you hear the word baptism, a couple of thoughts and experiences, fears, and, and past memories probably linger in your mind. Probably for some of us, uh, when you hear the word baptism, you're reminded of a date. A date that you soon came to know that it was the day you were baptized, and it's only dawned on you later on that you pretty much have a couple of more extra names. You have probably like four names, five names, because um, than the usual three, uh, and you pretty much reminded that you know this one name that you're given was a name that you were, it was given to you when you were baptized. Probably for some of us, it's the little sprinkling of water that happened when you were young, and probably you vividly remember being baptized, or probably you saw your younger siblings participate in it. And probably for some of us, especially for those who are a little older, who remember Kenda Tisaini Tisini Natisa Tisini Natatu Mia Zauko Nyuma. Probably they remember being plunged into a river somewhere where you were dipped into the water and your sins were literally washed away. <laughs> they were taken downstream and never to see them again. And probably for some of us is uh, a dramatic instance where probably you walked under a flag because of the church where you were in. Or probably you hoped over a fire like some of our colleagues mentioned earlier on when you were having these conversations. All in a bid to be baptized. But finally it's likely that you have been a Christian here. And when you hear the word baptism, you wonder, why then should I get baptized? See, in fact, salvation is by faith alone. Why, why should we have so much water? Why plunge you deep into the water in a sign of baptism? So when you just think about this whole topic, Christians worldwide have uh, debated about baptism. They've debated about its meaning. They've debated about what does it accomplish uh, to the Christian. They've debated about its requirements, its recipients but also its needfulness for the Christian. To some, baptism has been viewed as a means for saving sinners. Uh, some have even thought that as soon as you walk into that water and as soon as you walk out, you become a Christian, that you become a new person. Some have argued about the quantity of water. How about the little showers of blessings? Others have argued about the state of the water. Should it be stationary? Should it be in motion? Uh, and, and all these are arguments that the early church fathers have had But again, we see the scriptures being very clear with regards to the meaning, the recipients, the mode of baptism for our reflection and participation and obedience. And I hope that today we will kind of pause and and, and challenge ourselves and ask then, why then do we baptize and what is the needfulness of it to you as a believer? But also it's important for us to note that we live in an age where the 21st century Christian thinks on how, when, and to what extent they should exercise their faith. We're able to choose, this is how we need to be baptized, this is when we need to be baptized, this is when we need to come to church, this is how we ought to sing. The word of God with regards to preaching is probably either not a, a, a primary thing in your life as a Christian, and therefore we have to state that the authority of scriptures should take root in our hearts, and hopefully by so doing, participate in what God is calling us to do in this church, but also obey and, and be part of what God is doing here at Mabla Chapel Rocker. So here's the question, why then do we baptize? Why then do we baptize? In Matthew 3, 1 to 17, we are introduced firstly to a guy called John the Baptist. You can turn there and just open it up. We're introduced to John the Baptist, and John the Baptist comes at the very, very early, early pages of Scripture, and Malachi is written, and between Malachi and Matthew, there is a silence period where God hasn't spoken. There is like 400 years of silence, and therefore Malachi 4, 5 says this, it says, see, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. So by the time Malachi is ending, the Jew in that particular space is waiting to see two signs. Firstly, they're waiting to see a prophet who will come like Elijah, who will prepare the way of the Lord, but also they are anticipating the coming of a Messiah who was to come. And so what the Jews did, they are those Gentiles who would turn their eyes and come and realize that there is Yahweh, there is a God who is to be worshiped. And the Jews came up with a ritual, or rather a cleansing, whereby these Gentiles would go through this particular cleansing in order to follow the law, in order to be Judaizers and pretty much worship Yahweh. So by the time you're getting to Matthew chapter 3, the whole idea of cleansing and baptism is one that is known to the Jew in that particular space. And let's just read it from verses 1 all through to verses 11. This is what it says Uh, in in Matthew chapter 3. It says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the." desert of judea and saying what repent for the kingdom of heaven is what is near this is he who was spoken of through the prophet isaiah and it says a voice of one calling in the desert prepare the way for the lord make straight paths for for him verses four: john's clothes were made of camel's hair and he had a leather belt around his waist his food was locust and wild honey people went out to him from jerusalem and all judea and the, whole region of the, of, and the whole region of the Jordan. Verse 6 says, Confessing their sins, they were baptized with him in what? In the Jordan River. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to where he was baptizing, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming? Wrath. Verses 8. Produce fruit in keeping with what? With repentance. And do you think, do you not think, you can say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our, as our father. He says, I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the foot of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. 11. I baptize you with what? Water for repentance, but after me will come one who is more powerful than I, whose sandals I am not fit to do what? To carry. He will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering his wheat into the barn and burning the chaff with unquenchable fire. John the Baptist walks into this scene and the Jews have this idea that, you know what, as we are good, we are stemming from the Abrahamic Uh, We are descendants of Abraham, we are good, and and, and we are therefore worthy of the kingdom that is to come, and John the Baptist comes and says, wait, you guys are not ready for the coming Messiah, and the way for you to prepare that particular way for him to come is to do what? Confess your sins, and do what? Repent. And here we see this word baptism or baptize in John the Baptist, and pretty much the word baptism here is derived from the Greek word baptizo, which Pastor Madenge and Reverend Philip and Bishop Charles, scholars of Greek, would, would remind me and tell me that this word actually means immerse or dip or plant something something into the water, where the forces of buoyancy are pretty much de- defied. It's just to put something right into the water. But also this particular word has the meaning of purification and cleansing. In verse 6, we see John the Baptist saying that he baptized them in the Jordan River. There was an immersion, a dipping, of this particular particular Jews who came, so that they would actually experience this cleansing and, and, and acknowledge that they are now repentant, now that they have already confessed their sin. And John the Baptist was coming to prepare the way for the Messiah. He came to proclaim that their promised savior, king, is at hand and that all the Jews then were not ready he came and called them to repent and to be baptized he then proceeded and called them to a place of confessing their sins and making a 300 or 120 not hundred 180 ton and saying this is the way this is the way of life you're actually taking and therefore saying that I will leave my sins and embrace a totally different life he was calling them to produce fruit in keeping with what with repentance and therefore what we see from John the Baptist's um, baptism, he comes and proclaims, repent, confess your sins, and do what? Be baptized. But something else happens thereafter, in verses 13. In verses 13, something else happens. Verse 13 says this, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John, but John tried to do what? To deter him. What did he say? I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? John the Baptist comes and says, he sees this particular uh, person coming, he knows. First, uh, In John, we, we will be told that he would actually see him and say, look, this is the lamp of God who takes away the sins of men. He sees him and is like, no, 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 no. Wait, my baptism is actually pointing to your baptism. And John the Baptist is like, I can't baptize you, you baptize me. But what does Jesus respond? What does, what does Jesus respond in verses 15? Jesus replied, let it be so now, it is proper for us to do this, to do what? To fulfill all righteousness. And now the question here is then, why then do we baptize? The first response, my first point is that we baptize because Jesus modeled this baptism for us. Jesus did model baptism for us. And he gives his response, he came to fulfill all righteousness. But the question is, how then did he fulfill all righteousness? John the Baptist sits there and wonders, wait, why are you coming to why are you lining up among sinners? Why are you coming and lining up uh, among tax collectors as we later see? Why are you coming and proclaiming that you need to be to be baptized? You don't re- need repentance. And the first thing that we see how Christ or our Lord Jesus Christ fulfilled all righteousness. Firstly, Jesus did identify himself with sinners. He did identify himself with with sinners. In, in Luke's account, we see tax collectors, the, the Zacchaeus and the KRA taxmen of that day, who are overtaxing people, coming. We see the soldiers of that day coming, and we see them lining up and coming with Jesus and saying, you know what, here we come, we repent of our sins. But we all know that Jesus didn't have any what? Any sin. But also something else that also stands out with regards to him coming, Jesus comes and fulfills all righteousness by obeying God the Father and obeying God's message of baptism from John the Baptist. John was a prophet sent by God. And so Jesus willfully obeyed the Father in fulfilling all righteousness. Prophet, uh not prophet, John the Baptist was sent as a prophet to prepare the way. And Jesus is not afraid of identifying himself with sinners he was coming to actually save. And we see Jesus obeying God, obeying the messenger of God, John the Baptist, and saying, I know I don't have any sin, but I will identify myself with these sinners. And it's likely when Jesus was approaching, there were probably a queue, if I was to imagine that, a queue of tax collectors and sinners coming. And probably when everyone was looking at it, they were probably looking at this particular person coming and thinking, this is just like a sinner like us. He's coming to confess his sins. But lo and behold, this was the son of God confessing sins he had not committed, bearing them as his his own and identifying with sinners. And therefore what we see, we see Jesus walking through this preparation, through the baptism of repentance by John the Baptist, so that we who have gone astray, you and I, we who are in need of salvation, that later on we would walk in his ways and look to him as the only way to the Father. And finally proclaim that truly, 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 Christ has actually saved us. But something else also happens later on in verse 16. As Jesus gets into the water, and after John consenting, as Jesus is baptized, we see this in verse 16, this is what it says. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water. At that moment, heaven was done what? Was opened. Then he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said what? This is my son who, I love, with him I am well pleased. Here it was clear that everyone thought this was like any other sinner. But behold, something happens, the heaven opens, and it's clear and evident to everyone that, wait, the man standing before you is not any other sinner. This is the Son of God, it, making a clear demonstration by God the Father speaking, by the... by by God the Holy Spirit landing and and lighting on him like a dove, and by this affirmation by God the Father saying, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And truly, truly, we can see what Paul will let us say in 2 Corinthians 5.21, that truly God made him who had no sin. God made his son Jesus who had no sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. And secondly, why then? (coughs) Should we be baptized and how then, why then also did Jesus point us to this um, ordinance of baptism? We see this that secondly, his baptism pointed to a greater reality. And this greater reality was his death and resurrection. And Christ's dramatization was a uh, Christ baptism was a dramatization and a foreshadowing of what was what was to come—that he would be buried and raised from the dead, and that those who believe in his death and his resurrection would actually die to sin and be made alive in Christ. We see this glimpse of this in Mark chapter ten. Uh, from verses 35, this is a glimpse of, we see these two ambitious disciples, the sons of Zebedee, James and John, they come to Jesus and they ask, okay, we want you to do something for us. Would you make it possible for one of us to sit on the right and on the left? We can pretty much just stand there in Mark 10, 35 from verses, uh, uh, Mark 10, 35 to to 39, this is what it says. Then James and John, the sons of Zebedee, came to him. And they said, teacher, they said, we want you, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. And then, what do you want me to do for you, he asked. They replied, let one of us sit at your right and the other at your left in your glory. Verses 38, you don't know what you're asking, Jesus said. You, can you drink the cup I drink or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized? 39, in their response they gave, they said, We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, you will not drink the cup I drink and be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, but to sit at my right or left is not not for me to grant. These places belong to who? To those for whom they have been prepared. Here we see that Christ's baptism was a dramatization and a foreshadowing of what was to come. We get a glimpse that the baptism here that Jesus was actually saying, you guys, whatever you're asking for, is too big a risk. That later on, what we see, when he's talking about the cup that he will drink, that points to his death, his suffering. And also it points, he also says, um, or the, be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with, it points to his death, that he will actually die. The preceding verse, if you look at Mark uh, 10, 32, he predicts his death. He says that he is actually going to die, and that he will be flogged, and that he will he'll actually be killed, and three days later he will rise. He gives that as... that's the preceding context of what he's particularly talking about here. And therefore, baptism, when Jesus actually got baptized, he was dramatizing what would happen to him later, that he would be flogged, that he would die on the cross for our sake, and that he would rise up from the grave on the third day. But the second reason why we get baptized, the first reason is that Jesus modeled this for us. The second reason why we baptize here at Mamlakel Chapel, Ruaka, we baptize because Christ commanded us to do so. Christ did command us to get baptized. If you go to the Great Commission in Matthew 28, a text that we all know we can turn there, in Matthew 28 um, from verse 16, we can open our Bibles or swipe there and probably a media team will help us with that. It says, then the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some did what? Doubted him, which is pretty much our current space. There are some who pretty much have heard about the gospel of Christ, and there are two reactions there. Some choose to worship him as Lord and Savior, the risen King, and others choose to doubt him. But again, in verses 18, it says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to who? To me. Then therefore go and do what? Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the... Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to do what? To obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the very end of the age. Jesus comes and makes this charge to his disciples. And looking at that particular list, we know that God has called us to go. Evangelism here at Nablackal Chapel would actually say, Yeah, there's missions, go and make disciples. The making, we have discipleship here that follow Christ. Pursue him, love him with all your hearts. And he says, disciples of all nations. But there's something here that he says, baptizing them in what? In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. Here Jesus ordains baptism as an essential part of discipleship for the Christian. He says, you, after going and preaching and sharing God's word, after this guy is turning their hearts to God and them acknowledging that now they are followers of Christ, What is the next preceding thing that needs to happen? They need to be baptized, all right? He says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, meaning that any other baptism that is not done in in this way, any other baptism that is not administered in the way of the Father, in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, ceases to be the baptism that Christ prescribes. And therefore, we see that Jesus in his final charge, he says, go and baptize believers. And here he mentions the recipients of baptism are believers. Jesus' instruction, he says, go, make disciples. And here he ordains this particular ordinance for us to be baptized. And therefore he makes a case that the recipients of baptism are not unbelievers of any age. Meaning that here at Pamlaka, we will not administer infant baptism. That we will not bring your little children and baptize them because they have not understood and known the Father, and confessed and repented of their sins, hence the reason why we do not do what? We administer infant baptism, but what do we do? We have, baby, dedication. whereby we dedicate these children to God, acknowledging that, they too, we, we will commit ourselves as parents in the local church to raise them in the ways of the Lord, but should they love the Lord with all their hearts, souls, and minds, should they repent of their sins at the age of 7, 8, 9, 12, we will be able to do what? administer baptism and jesus gives us that the recipients of baptism are what firstly believers but also the other question that comes into mind it's likely that you ask if baptism is necessary for salvation does it impart faith if baptism is necessary for for salvation does it impart faith does baptism now if you get baptized today make you a christian what we see again in the early church we see peter preaching a thunderous sermon are full of the Holy Spirit to 3,000 people. These guys are cut to the heart. And their first response, they ask, what then shall we do? And in Acts 2.38, this is what Peter replies. He says, repent and do what? And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of who? Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. Going back to John the Baptist's uh, kind of baptism, there was a gospel message or a repentance message that was preached. He came and actually preached that. And therefore the response was, confess your sins, then do what? Be baptized. In Jesus' charge in Matthew 28, he comes and says, go and make disciples of all nations and baptize those who actually turned their hearts uh, and have believed in this particular God in this particular gospel message of Jesus Christ. We see in Acts the first time where the first sermon is preached after the Holy Spirit comes. He comes and says, after you have listened to this gospel message, after you have listened to this particular sermon that Jesus is the way truth, and the life and that you Jews actually kill him. Put your trust in him. What he calls them to do is to do what? Repent and be baptized. Therefore, baptism is preceded by a gospel message. Then it is followed by a response of repentance, a turning away from sin. And also, it is also followed by a joyful willingness to be baptized. And therefore, here you say that baptism is preceded by a gospel message, followed by a response of repentance, and also followed by a joyful willingness to be baptized. And just to answer the question that I asked, does, does baptism necessarily impart any faith to the believer? Does it, does it, does it cause you to be saved? And we know that Ephesians 2.8, Paul would say, that for it is by grace that you have done what? You have been saved through faith that a Christian is saved not by any works that he should boast, but he is saved by this one particular thing, putting his or her faith in who? Jesus Christ. And therefore, baptism does not save us, for it is preceded by repentance and confession of our sins and faith in Jesus Christ. Mark sixteen sixteen would actually allude to this, saying, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned, saying, Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. The, the, the precondition of you not experiencing any condemnation is your belief in who? In Jesus Christ and, he, and in his work that he has done to us on the cross. I, I think you guys remember the thief, uh, the thief who was crucified with Jesus in Luke 23, 40. That second thief stands there. He recognizes that Jesus has not has done nothing. He recognizes that he is worthy of that particular judgment, and this is what he says, he says, remember me when you come into your kingdom, and Jesus replies, I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in what? In paradise. He didn't have any time to be baptized, he didn't have any time for his, for the nails to be plucked off his hand and to be taken to a pool and plunged deep so that he would actually demonstrate his baptism. But what we say, Jesus does confirm to him that on that very day, his salvation is sure because of his uh, belief in Jesus Christ. And therefore, whereas baptism is not necessary for your salvation, whereas baptism is not necessary for your salvation, it is needful and important for your obedience. Baptism is needful and important for your obedience. And therefore, if Jesus is Lord of our lives, then we must obey his commands and participate in this ordinance that he has ordained. He didn't ordain an an ordinance or a baptism that he himself did not choose to participate in. He modeled the way for us. He has commanded us to do this. And therefore, our response then should be, we should be willing to be baptized. But here poses another question then. Why would Jesus command us to be baptized if baptism does not impart faith? Why would Jesus go ahead and command us to go and make disciples and get baptized, yet this baptism does not impart faith. Here are three things that probably I would want us to reflect on. Firstly, baptism symbolizes Christ's saving work in us and displays our union with him. The first point is that baptism does what? Symbolizes, our Christ, uh, symbolizes Christ's saving work in us and displays our union with him. We have symbols and, and signs that Point different realities, right? We have signs that tell us this is my Black Hill Chapel, Ruaka. We have symbols like this ring. This ring reminds me and tells me that I am married. It is an outward sign of an inward reality that remains unseen. That I am married and I've pledged my vows to one Neemo boy to be my wife. And therefore, should you sing other songs like Ukosi in God? My answer is <laughs> Hapana. You know, because I am taken, all right? I am taken, I am taken, I am taken. Till death do us part. And so is baptism. Baptism does outwardly display an inward reality that remains unseen. It shows that we are, we are now dead to sin and that we are cleansed, we are saved, we are redeemed, and we are made alive in Christ. Paul makes a great case for this in Romans 6, 1 uh, to 3. I want like us to read there and see the kind of argument that Paul makes that points us to this particular reality of our union with Christ. Paul in, in, in Romans uh, 6 argues and starts with a, with, with a great argument. He, he asks, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? Verses two, by no means. We are those who have done what? We have died to sin. How can we live in it any, any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who are what? who were baptized into who? Into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may do what? May live anew, a new life. Verses 11 down there, if you to just look at verses 11, it says in the same way, count yourselves what? Dead to sin, but alive to God In Christ Jesus, baptism does symbolize an inward reality that God has done. Ephesians 2 would point us and remind us that we were dead in our transgressions. That though we walk in our own physical way spiritually before God without the Holy Spirit turning our hearts to him, we are walking dead people. All right? And therefore, when we get saved, and therefore when we get baptized, baptism symbolizes what we were before that first of all we were dead in our transgressions but also it comes again and reminds us that now that the holy spirit has washed us and has imputed the righteousness of god in us then now when we come out of the water what happens we are alive in christ and therefore we show our unity with christ in his death and his resurrection and therefore since baptism does symbolize this union when pastor madenga is baptizing you He will not sprinkle some little water on your face. Why? Because this does not signify what Christ has done to you. He will take you and plunge you deep into the water with all the strength he's got. Put you down there, leave you there for a while, right? To remind you that you are dead in your transgressions. Then he he will yank you out out of the water with all much strength to dramatize and symbolize that you are dead in your transgression if it were not by the work of God and, and his son dying on the cross and, the, and, and also by the power of the Holy Spirit that you would still be dead in your transgression and therefore when you come out of the water you dramatize, I was dead, but now I am alive. You also signify that I was actually alive to sin, but now I am dead to sin and I was dead to Christ and now I'm alive In Christ, and therefore you will proclaim like Paul in Galatians 20 say, I have been crucified with who? With Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who has loved me and gave himself for me. And therefore here what we proclaim is that we were once dead in our transgressions and now we've been made alive. That the old self is now gone and buried, and now we have put on the new self. We have put off the old deeds with all its sins, and now we have put on the new self, and we have clothed ourselves with righteousness, and we've clothed ourselves in Christ, and therefore we walk not as sinners, but now much more as who? As saints. And therefore to the first century Christian back then, here at Mamblaka we come and probably tell you to change, but in those times they didn't have any changing rooms, you would be baptized and walk home all drenched. And therefore, the first century Christian, as they walk home, they would be wet, drenched, they would leave marks of water, and everyone would know that this guy is actually a changed man. This particular person has put their their their, their, their confidence and their belief in who? In Jesus Christ. And now they walk in the newness of what? The newness of life. Secondly, baptism displays our union with Christ with other believers. Baptism displays our union with Christ, with other believers. Paul continues to say this in Galatians three twenty-seven to 28. He says, So in Christ Jesus, you are all what? Children, Children of God through faith. For all of you who are baptized into who? Into Christ, have clothed yourselves with who? With Christ. Then verse 28 says, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, Nor is there male and female, for you are all one in who? In Christ Jesus. When you come up here and proclaim that you are baptized, you not only proclaim that you alone have been saved by Christ, but you proclaim that you and you and you and you and you and you, all of us seated here, we praise and say, you know what, God has not only saved me, but actually God has actually saved us. And therefore, we are united with other believers and we are reminded that there is a God who saves, that he has not only saved me, but has saved each and every one of us and that our identity has changed, that all our ethnic, social, gender, whatever statuses that we have count for nothing, for now all of us are in Christ. And therefore, we share in the citizenship of another kingdom. And therefore, we call ourselves that now we are believers, we are Christians. And therefore, when we see you, we are reminded that you are my brother in who? in Christ, and therefore we publicly and confidently triumph this, work, this world and walk in this particular way knowing that you and you and you and you and myself, all of us are redeemed by the power of our Lord Jesus Christ and his sufficient work on the cross. And thirdly, baptism proclaims the work of God in our salvation, pointing us to the future hope that is to come, that baptism publicly proclaims the work of God in our salvation, pointing us to the future hope that is to come. Romans 6, 5 to 10, as Paul continues the same argument he continues to say in verses 5, for if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly also be united with him in a resurrection like his. For we know that our old self was done what? Was crucified with him, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to what? To sin, because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Verses 8 says, now if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also do what? Live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. And it says death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives he lives to who? He lives to God. And therefore, when we choose to be baptized and come and proclaim the work of God in our salvation, we are not only united with Christ in his death, but we are even much more united with him in his resurrection. Right now, we acknowledge that firstly, before we were dead in our transgression, Christ has made us alive. And also we proclaim that, should we also die? Should we also die, we are reminded that Christ no longer, death has no longer mastery over who? Over Christ. That death has actually been swallowed up in victory. And therefore we proclaim through baptism that though we die, this is not the end of it. That there lies a promised resurrection that is to come. A life eternal with our God that we should long for. And therefore as you go down, you acknowledge that yes, spiritually you are dead in your transgression. But should you actually have any physical death, and should the Lord call you home, you realize that death has not won, because Christ has won it all for us. He has given the final blow on death, sin, and the grave. And therefore, as you get into the water, you are reminded that there lies a blessed hope, whereby when the trumpet does sound in the last day, you will not not just stay there, but you 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 will be raised up, right? And you will experience the resurrection of that particular time and therefore while holy communion points us to good friday his body being pierced his body being broken for us baptism points us to easter sunday it points us to easter sunday that he's a victorious ruling king it points us to his triumphant um victory over sin death and the grave and it reminds us that jesus has actually won it all for us but also finally something else happens remember when jesus was was being baptized we saw the sun being present, right? We saw the heavens opening and a dove actually lighting on him. Um, that's the, the sun, that is the, uh, the God, the Holy Spirit uh, landing in form of, of, of a dove. We also see God speaking. So he's with us when we come and, ba- and, and get baptized. When we get baptized, we also make a public witness and praise God. We raise a triune praise to God. Because you're being baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. As we go down and come up, we come and praise God the Father. We say, thank you, God the Father, for your redemptive work. Thank you for pursuing me and sending your Son. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for being a God who is rich in mercy. Thank you for demonstrating your love for us. But our praise doesn't stop there. It goes to God the Son. We praise God the Son. Thank you for dying on the cross and bearing our sin and wrath and rising on, the third day, uh, w- rising on the third day thereafter. And also our praise doesn't stop there. It goes to we praise God the Holy Spirit, saying thank you, precious Holy Spirit, for convicting and effecting change in our hearts and being a seal of the guaranteeing deposit that is to come. Amen. The Bible points us to the reality that baptism is not a minor issue. It, uh, it is a necessary ordinance Precisely tied to the display of the gospel and the saving work that Christ has accomplished for us in his death and resurrection. And therefore, the other question that probably we can pose then what shall we do? Like the Christians after Peter's sermon. Probably the question is, what then shall we do? And the first thing I can tell you, my application is just one repent and be baptized to you who belong. To you probably who have belong to the category of you have been a Christian for a while, you you are like the Ethiopian eunuch and you're asking, what is hindering me from getting baptized? The pool is ready, the sun is out, Pastor Madenga is here. Sign up at the end of the service and be baptized and get baptized. Probably to you who has held on to your infant baptism or any other baptism that meant nothing to you, And now you are saved by grace through faith and you hold on to the promises of God knowing that God has actually rescued you from the shackles of sin. Get baptized. Sign up at the end of this particular service and join a class starting next week and get baptized. What about to you who is ashamed of the gospel? To you who has known what baptism is but you have disobeyed the command of Christ willfully, you are willing to enjoy the benefits of salvation, in closed doors, and yet you do not want to make a public declaration of what Christ has done to you. You're not willing to come and identify yourself publicly with him. Cut off that disobedience, confess your sin, and do what? Get baptized. But it's likely that you're here and you are an unbeliever. You fail on the minimum threshold of getting baptized. You do not have You don't have uh, hope in God, you do not know the Lord, you have not submitted yourself to Christ, you know very, very well that you have not put your faith in Christ, you have not repented of your sin. My prayer to you is that the Lord is calling you, that he is willing to actually change your, your heart of stone into a heart of flesh, that he is willing to actually rouse you up from that death, that spiritual death, And finally, unite you in this particular faith. He's willing to save you today. Do not harden your heart. And my prayer to you is that one of the greatest applications you can make out of this sermon, repent, repent, repent. Turn to the Lord today and be baptized. But finally, probably you're here and you are baptized. You proclaimed Jesus as Lord and Savior. My prayer is that you would walk in the confidence that God has given you that you would live out your life for the glory of God, that you will not be ashamed of this gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation, that you would walk this journey acknowledging that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life, and that your life and conduct will mirror that of a disciple who follows Christ. And therefore, the very, very end, my prayer, is that as you get baptized, as you walk in your particular walk of faith this coming week, remember that the Lord loves you, remember that the Lord cares for you, Remember that God gave us his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us, that we should live likewise and do that which he has called us to do to the praise of his His glorious name. May the Lord bless you all and keep you.